All right, yep. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, WFPR-FM, for another in our weekly series with our town administrator, Jamie Helen, and marketing and communications specialist, Anne-Marie Tracy, here to talk Franklin. Folks, good afternoon. Thanks for joining. Hi, Steve. Good afternoon, Steve. Great to be here. In this weekly rhythm that we've got going, there's a bunch that's do. happened, and there's a bunch of outlooks I think we can get into in particular, do you want to start with any of the recap from this week? I know we had the uh, uh, town council special discussion uh, from which I think there's a couple of threads. Well, I think, um, you know, so just by way of background for folks who may not have um, caught up with that meeting, but um, this past week we did have a, a unique um, town council meeting. Um, the week before we had had a regularly scheduled uh, council meeting and during the now uh, every time we have a meeting, I give a coronavirus update, obviously of, of, of overview of everything that's been going on since the last meeting. And, you know, it, it started to percolate that obviously as many people in Franklin and, and, and um, throughout all of Massachusetts really, you know, are starting to become concerned and with, um, with uh, business opening up. Um, when, how, um, can we be pro proactive to plan for this <clears throat> when re-entry comes? And um, so I think there were two big threads. One was when will business open up again? How and when? Uh, we had a great attendance. Um, you know, well over 60 people were on the call, um, which was great. It was a Zoom meeting, of course, Steve. Um, you know, like we've been doing all of our meetings these days. A lot of great questions were asked. Um, a lot of great answers were, were put out there as well. We had um, the Board of Health on, the Board of Health staff, the elected Board of Health Chair, Bridget Sweet, um, Kathy and Ginny from our health department, myself, um, the town attorney, Mark Sorrell. Um, we had the fire chief, the police chief, and the building commissioner and the community planning director, Brian Burner, to you know, answer any questions that anyone had on, on these matters. And I think that <clears throat> what you heard was you know, I think the good news is, is, is we all agree um, that we want to uh, re-enter uh, the government buildings, the businesses, uh, the small businesses, the retail. So our end goal, I think, is all the same. And I think our end goal is also um, all the same with that we all want that to happen as soon as we can. Yes. I think where the debate gets, whether it's at the state level or our level, um, is when and how. <clears throat> and I think that as we went through a, in that meeting, you know, clearly the governor earlier in the week at his press conference had addressed this. Um, to date right now, he has not made any announcements. As of it stands, the governor has shut down um, by his executive order um, an executive privilege to, to order all non-essential retail um, to, to close until further notice until May 4th. Essential, non-essential is certainly a debatable issue. He has already changed his regulations once or twice to modify them. Um, I expect those modifications to continue in some order. Um, his staff, um, you know, there's been no intelligence out there to suggest who, when, or how, <clears throat> but he did expose um, some of his criteria. Um, one is that the safety of citizens are, are his, um, you know, obviously his main concern. Yep. And then Paramount. number two, um, you know, offering that there's going to obviously be case-by-case -case scenarios of guidelines and regulations that certain businesses are going to 
too. Um, and I think that depends on whether you're a Marshalls or whether you're the YMCA or whether you're a college or whether you're a bike shop mm-hmm. or a retail store or restaurant, all of yep. those are going to be different. And he also made it very clear that he was going to be working with the regional coalition of the Northeast governors, you know, on issues like retail where shoppers go in and out of States all the time. A lot of Massachusetts shoppers go to New Hampshire for obvious reasons. I shouldn't have to tell anyone. Nope. Uh, for the good old tax sales tax issue. A lot of people from Rhode Island came into Massachusetts. A lot of people from Massachusetts go to New York. I mean, uh, obviously we're right in the center of it. So those are considerations he's going to have to make as well as things like beaches. You know, I'm a, I am ai will admit I am a beach bum <laughs> and I cannot wait to go to the beach. I'm with um, you on that. You know, especially as it gets warmer. Yes. Especially yeah. as it gets warmer and I'm an outdoorsy guy, so I'm always outside. Um, but I, as you can imagine, and as listeners at home are listening to this, they can imagine, you know, if mass is closed with beaches, we're all going to go to Rhode Island or vice versa. Right. And, and those are issues that have got to be worked out on a regional level. And the last thing I would say is, is that he clearly, he's made clear that he wants to see a very, consistent trajectory of uh, a downward count in the confirmed cases as well as the fatalities. And we were on a good run this week in Massachusetts uh, up until yesterday where the numbers were quite startling. Um, you know, and, and I think that um, I don't want to want one day go and say the whole week is ruined, but I think it puts pause onto the excitement of, of that there may be some light at the end of the tunnel. So that was one thread. And I think that people really need to continue to check into the town council meetings, the board of health meetings. They're all on our town calendar. Um, we have a great website portal that Anne-Marie has done for us with more information than you could possibly ever want. <clears throat> but it's all there. Um, and obviously, the most important thing I would say for anybody out there listening, we have got to be respecting and listening to Governor Baker. Um, daily press conferences, new information, reiterating social distancing, reiterating being personally responsible, reiterating masks, reiterating all these other things, which we're going to talk about next. Um, but the governor has the latest information. The governor is the one making these decisions. We're enforcing what the governor is asking us to do. Um, and I do expect over the next few weeks, um, as I've done with our staff, Many businesses in Franklin are, are, are starting to wonder, take the conversation upon themselves. Um, are there things I can do now to be prepared for when that, when that day comes? Um, there were some great news stories that I saw last night on Channel 5 and some others about businesses, including hair salons, retail, clothing stores. There's some businesses up on the North Shore that have been doing some really innovative things right now. They're not waiting for the town. They're not waiting mm-hmm. for the governor. Sure. Uh, it was a great story, as a matter of fact, on a, on a hairdresser salon in, in I believe, Swampscott or, or Danvers that was talking about she had already made her own face shield. She's already got her hairdressers with masks on. Um, she's taken all sorts of new protocols and rules that everybody's going to have to adhere to. Um, she's not waiting. Um, and nobody should wait to think about these things. I've discussed them with my department heads. Amory was just on the call. We're, we're having those conversations about when to reopen the library and when that day comes, what does that look like? Right. Senior center, what does that look like? What are the things that we can do today to help gear up for that? These are not easy questions to no. answer, uh, but they're things that we're all talking about. And, and for the folks out there listening, you should think of that too. Um, don't wait for government to somehow 
trump common sense of what you think is good for your customers because the governor made it clear it's an industry by industry decision it just depends on the nature of your business yeah and i think between the cdc guidelines who guidelines i think the white house issued their own um clearly all of those are going to provide the overall framework Uh, Clearly, some of those are beyond our individual control in terms of, yeah, we need to be on the downward trend to begin with. Sure. And then within that, how do you structure your business? And that's where the variability comes in. What is it that I have to do to maintain the social distancing, still deliver the product, uh, still enable the cleanliness as required, et cetera, et cetera. All of those are going to vary, whether you're, to your point, whether it's a salon or a grocery store or, you know, whatever, and they will be different, but there'll be some common themes. And if, if they at least start thinking about those and put the, that frame of reference around, okay, how do I do business? What would it change? Um, yeah, then that at least once the, and, and I understand clearly it's kind of a catch 22, you, you need the guidelines and yet we have the broad framework. We don't have the specifics in terms of, Yes, you really will require, call it the six foot. So if somebody changed it to five or 12, obviously that would have a difference that would ripple down. Um, I'm not speculating that it would go that way, but that's as an example. But um, yeah, no, I there, think it's there an can important be some thing, preparations. But, but I think that if you, if watching some of the stories around the country, there's varied opinions on it. Yes. And hair salons don't agree necessarily on A, B, or C. Um, right. I've seen some hair uh, stylists basically say on TV, there's no way I'm opening because I can't live with the fact that somebody in my store might get this. And, and then there's others that are already ready to open today with what I would think are, and these aren't Franklin businesses, but you know, others that I've seen stories where like, it seems pretty clear that that business owner <laughs> has done their fair share of homework, which mm-hmm. kudos to them. And I think, yeah. I think that, um, you know, no matter what the governor orders, no matter what, the town of Franklin orders, you know, there's a responsibility that people are going to have to evaluate their customers and who their business partners are to make a lot of those decisions on themselves um, as well. And and I don't think we can avoid that responsibility. And if people feel they're of a certain retail business, maybe they get into having a line out the door and letting, you know, say only, you know, 50 shoppers and marshals at once. You can't Mm -hmm. try on clothes and you can't use the carts and you can only be in for a half hour and, you know, you got to come in and get your shoes and leave or whatever the dynamics are. You know, I think that it's going to require some change for a little while until we can really significantly turn the corner so that we don't head back into a relapse of this. The governor was very passionate about this on Monday. He's been passionate about this for a while. Um, he even quoted, I'm not going to quote him directly, but he said something to the effect of be damned if I'm going to do all this work. And then all of a sudden in another few months have this happen again. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that was a, a, a mature and, and wise decision and one we should be thanking him for making um, and one that I think we have to realize, you know, this is a governor that shares all of our same feelings. He made it clear. He wants, he has not seen his 91 year old father in a month. Yeah. And a half, it's, there's, there's, I mean, yep. we're all, the personal touch is there for sure. Absolutely. So, and then I think the second thread from the meeting on Wednesday was the, was the next topic with the Board of Health meeting on, on, on masks. Um, I did not expect this debate, but apparently um, the Attorney General had ruled, and I did see her regulations last week, 
But if you notice, the city of Everett um, is one of the highest infection rates in the, in the state, and the Board of Health in Everett this week um, did mandate that they, uh, all uh, people, when they leave their homes, have to have some sort of cover-up or mask. Um, and the town of Milford earlier this week, I believe on Tuesday or Wednesday, did the same thing. Um, obviously, the dynamics of those two towns, like every community, are a little different. Uh, but there was varied opinions on the mask issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everybody had, uh, I think in a lot of ways, everybody was right. Um, I think that the comments that were out there were, were, were a pure representation of probably how residents feel about that. Um, the Board of Health is having a meeting next week um, to have a further discussion of it. Um, there was two prongs to it too, Steve, if I recall. There was one about people going into stores wearing masks but also uh, employees um, wearing masks. The big Y chain this week um, announced that they were gonna uh, mandate that all their employees um, at all of their stores um, are gonna be required to wear masks. As someone who's gone grocery shopping myself, I'm the cook in the family, so I do the shopping and the grocery shopping and the cooking. Mm -hmm. yep. um, I can tell you I've been annoyed a few times when I've gone into stores personally, and I've been a little frustrated and. Not nervous, but just frustrated, thinking, you know, this isn't a big lift here. Um, I think the Board of Health Chair made it clear this does not mean you have to go out and buy an expensive apparatus. It could just be pull up your turtleneck, get a scarf, uh, a bandana, um, just something, because what the goal is here is to stop the amount of droplets coming out of your mouth. And I will self-deprecate myself here um, in the sense that you know, I know from when I look at my phone on speakerphone, there apparently is a lot of droplets that come out of my mouth. Yes. And, and I think the reality <laughs> is, is that nobody can claim that that's not the case. If I looked at your computer screen, Steve, or Anne-Marie, or anyone out there, I would see droplets all over the thing. It's not because we're yelling. It's not because we're screaming. It's not because we're overdoing it. People really underestimate how much comes out of your mouth while you're talking oh, yeah. well and and brigham and women's this week confirmed this yes they were the hospital that mandated masks for all of their employees and they've seen their infection rate as employees go sky plummeting down right and yeah. and 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 that's i think also will lead into the next phase of this um if you're mayor walsh in boston um, you know, I think you're feeling maybe a little bit differently than if you're out in the Berkshires. Um, and so I think that's why they've left it up to the local boards of health. Um, and our board of health will be having a, a special meeting next week to, uh, to discuss the, 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 the issue further. And I just want to say to end off this on my half, unless you have more points, but I, I just feel like that at the end of the day, we all have our personal views on whether we want to wear masks or not. And we have our own comfortability with it. And maybe some people don't leave the house very much for good reason. And they, they may not be susceptible to this type of order. But I think when we're looking at grocery stores and pharmacies and those areas where we all need to go into, um, you know, I think that there has to be some sort of consideration from the Board of Health um, at setting some sort of tone in those areas. Because, you know, I can make a choice not to go to certain stores or get takeout 
or um, I've only had to fill up my gas tank very infrequently this month. Not a big surprise, deal. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> not a big deal, right? But the grocery store is like, you know, essential core stuff we all need. Absolutely. And the employees at those businesses, I think, it shouldn't be a tough lift for Shaw's and Stop and Shop and Big Y to be able to make their employees wear masks and gloves. No, really no, I think that was uh, reinforcing a couple of points, but in a slightly different thread related to that. Um, a lot of the discussion was around, in some cases, having a reinforcement from the Board of Health for the exactly. retail operators, i.e. a Shaw's or a small business, to be able to say to their customers, and absolutely, and Mark Sorrell confirmed, it's their right. They own that property. They can determine who should enter and what the entries requirements are so getting some help in that arena i i can see that that's fine um in terms of the spread clearly this particular disease that's how it is spread and the community spread has been and if you haven't seen that certainly for the listeners just most of the media will certainly have the the notes and the articles to go and convince folks that that's how it get it gets carried um and since we're in new england while we've been talking about the warm weather all we have to do is think back to one of those days when it was 20 degrees. What happened when we walked around? We were exhaling and there was that frozen air in front of us all the time, right? It was about 20 degrees of just a couple of days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's snowing. <laughs> yeah, but I agree with yeah. you. Like, um, I'm, as a consumer, I'm making decisions uh, of where to go. Uh, with my shopping based on how I feel. Mm -hmm. If I feel that those businesses are taking precautions that make me as a consumer feel safe, um, I think, and I think a lot of people are doing that. I think a lot of people are comparing and contrasting, oh, what's happening here, what's happening there. And if there would be some sort of blanket expectation of what, what to get when you go to a supermarket, what to expect, um, mm -hmm. I think it would make both employees and consumers maybe feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, it's, and it, there's another little thread that came out, Steve. So maybe there were a couple, but Amory raises a great point in this discussion. The Board of Health Chair actually acknowledged at the meeting, and I learned about, was that now businesses are trying to almost compete to see who's safer. Yes. So they're trying to, and I think Big Y is a good example of this, of trying to lead on the plastic bag ban well before any regulation came in or, or what you were just saying. And I think that Bridget Sweet, the chair of the Board of Health, elected Board of Health, by the way, um, you know, she alluded to that. And it, I, I hadn't been paying close enough attention, I guess, to see some of the nuance of that. This is her field, so she's an expert there. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting point. And Anne-Marie kind of strikes on it right now, which is as a consumer, there are people looking for businesses to go above and beyond and that that's an appealing thing for a family or an individual to be able to say, oh, I'm going to go over here because that restaurant is wearing masks and gloves when they deliver my food out to the trunk. Um, you know, I, I will say um, even my wife who, who shops at Target was impressed with the online orders. You pull up, they put it in your trunk. There's no interaction. Yes. And that that's a coup for them. And, and I think you are seeing a lot of that movement among the business community to find that competitive edge. And. And Bridget was very articulate articulate about that, um, you know, at that meeting on Wednesday. Yeah, and while it's a competitive edge, it's certainly the the safety factor is prominent for because uh, the food pantry, to their credit, had shifted from putting the bags in the cars into, you know, having you pop the trunk and we'll put it there. 
um, for protection's sake. And that ultimately, I think one thing we all agree on, our health is prominent. That should be the, the premier piece. Make sure that we are all safe because if we don't have that. <laughs> not a heck of a lot of health, other things matter. Yep. Mm -hmm. Agreed. True. And, and I mean, I think just to throw a quick, you know, as the, you know, town administrator, you know, I look at this all the time from the view of 35,000 people in town. Everybody's got an opinion. Mm -hmm. um, people are passionate, less passionate. A lot of people just want to know where they feel. Um, you know, and I do recognize there's a portion of the public that, that, that does not believe that this is a big crisis. And, you know, I, I think that I've gotten so much great feedback from people in town. You know, while I may not share that same sentiment, I do respect and appreciate the fact that this isn't an easy issue to, to do because you're enforcing something or advising something that not everybody wants to do. And I think that this gets into a bigger discussion, not for today, but more the, the philosophy of what kind of society we live in. You know, what do we want to be like? And how are we different than Oklahoma versus Montana versus Massachusetts and states' rights and local rights? And, and, and I, the reason why I mention this, a lot of people believe the confirmed case count in Franklin is low. And it is low. Our infectious rate ratio for a community our size of density is low. And a big reason why that infectious rate is low is because people in Franklin know how to come together when they're here and in these moments. Our superintendent and I also believe that with the fire chief and police chief, as they spoke of, that this is also not a coincidence. You know, the decisive actions of the, of the state, as well as us at the local level, we've all had a part to play in hopefully leading to a place where the community feels like they have the right information to make those choices. There's no mandate that everybody has to believe this, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, we have to respect everybody's uh, opinions and we have to respect that everybody has gone through a significant change and disruption to their regular way of whatever their life was two months ago. And, um, and this gets into what I think is a little bit more of the human element of it, where, you know, in my job, it's, and I feel it's important for me to be available to all of those various opinions. Um, and sometimes we're going to disagree or agree. Um, and we'll get into it a little bit later with Earth Day, but, um, you know, I just want people out there to know that you can still have a voice with me and, and, and even though, um, you know, I speak out in front of in some of these issues, um, it is important that those, uh, those opinions are respected um, as we go through this. And so, um, uh, you know, it was a very good discussion on Wednesday. It was a two-hour meeting. I thought it was a very productive conversation and discussion. I thought a lot of people that were on the call got a, got a significant out, uh, amount about it. So it was a very good meeting. Yes, it was. Uh, and for the fellows who haven't uh, listened to it or the link to the video is available on the town page. Uh, Franklin Mattis certainly published the audio link. Um, both of those are readily available, so you can tap in and listen to it. Um, moving into next week and picking up certainly a, another example of a thread, but there's an EDC meeting, and I believe you're introducing the inclusionary zoning piece in that. Correct. So we're having an economic development subcommittee meeting, which is four members of the town council. That'll be uh, Councilor Melanie Hamlin, Councilor Glenn Jones, Councilor Anna McCarthy Earls, um, and Councilor Andy Basanti are the four members of the EDC. As we, we love acronyms in government, right, Steve? Yes. 
Um, Acronyms, so, uh, alphabet soup. You know, I'll I'll be the bureaucrat and spell it out. Um, you know, economic development subcommittee. So they're going to have a discussion on inclusionary zoning, which was actually scheduled for the exact day that the town hall uh, ultimately closed. Yep. And um, and 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 so um, we're going to be discussing something very unique. Um, to illustrate it to the to the viewers, uh, listeners, excuse me, is um, it's essentially a mechanism to provide uh, more moderate middle class housing for the town. And and I'll use an example of uh, the Dean Ave Apartments, which I do in my memo. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but say there were about 260 units uh, being built through an inclusionary zoning bylaw, which, by the way, every town around of us. Franklin has, so this isn't groundbreaking stuff. Um, what you have is a certain percentage of those units would be deed restricted at an affordable uh, middle class or, or uh, lower middle class uh, income rate. Some of those units would go on to what's called a standard housing index, which charts most people would know as a 40B, um, where we do right now have 10% of our stock. Uh, and housing in Franklin as deemed affordable by the state, which is a very powerful thing. Not only is it the right thing to do in terms of mixing up the housing stock to uh, uh, allow for all families to be able to afford a uh, housing unit in Franklin, but it also ensures that our local zoning does not get overridden by um, developer projects putting housing developments in areas that we didn't really intend for them to be. The most notorious is one of the ones up in one of the industrial parks where you have all this industrial land and business land and warehouses with a, a housing complex right in the middle of it. Um, and so what it would do for a Dean Ave, if this were to have been in place, is you would have, say, 20, 25% of those units at various income levels um, or under median income levels um, would be deemed affordable by deed. And I think that for something like that, if I remember my numbers correctly, would have resulted in about 64 units of those 270 over there. Yeah, 257 and 64 was correct. Yeah. So at 257 units, 64 of those would have been deemed affordable. And by the way, most of those units at that over in that building are one and two bedroom apartments. Yeah. So for the people that are young in Franklin, that are in their 20s struggling to find a place, this would be an alternative option. And for the empty nesters in Franklin, the ones that downsize, or folks who have been divorced that need to have two units, or commuters um, that want to live near downtown. I mean, there's a whole slew of demographics that this would assist. But you know, not only um, do we do we want to care for people that are seniors and veterans and others in the community um, to have an affordable unit. Uh, but I think one of the things that you commonly hear in Franklin is my children are absolutely, uh, given what the housing boom has done in the last 10 years, my children are absolutely never going to be able to afford to live mm -hmm. in Franklin. And, yeah. and an inclusionary zoning bylaw like this would unquestionably not solve the entire problem, but it's definitely something we can do as a community right now, no hold barred, be able to get it out there, get it on the books, and hopefully over the coming years as we build out of this crisis, you know, in a fitting way, you know, maybe we will be able to accommodate more of that demand that we've been hearing from people at all these meetings. Yeah, it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. And for those listening who are also following the Davis-Thayer facility discussion, uh, the demographics, um, yeah. both the enrollment and the town population 
are part of that discussion. And it was an interesting statin amongst, I think it was 19 assumptions. The one that caught my eye was <clears throat> in order for the town to maintain population, and currently we're losing, and one of the reasons we're losing is because we're not able to turn over, I think the neighborhood of 275 existing units, not new ones, yep. but existing units per year need to turn over to create that kind of opportunity that you mentioned where people, younger people coming up can actually find something that's affordable and stay within. And I'll use myself as an example. <clears throat> Wife and I are here, the kids are gone. Yep. I don't have a place for me to move successfully so I can give up the bigger colonial and move into something yeah. smaller. So it, it is an interesting discussion. I'm glad the inclusionary piece, and it's a piece of the puzzle, but um, it, it's something we need to do. And like I said, you know, you know, um, the towns around of us have, have, have done this. There's been a movement on these issues for a while. And I just, I can't find a better time. I mean, now that we're, we're in this COVID, I mean, this was all being conceived well before the COVID-19 oh, crisis. Absolutely. Um, you know, but in, in a fitting way, I think it's one of those things that will be an amazing tool for, for folks, maybe not right now, this month, um, but as the community itself um, goes through its ebbs and flows and, and getting out of this crisis, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle that can help um, chart uh, uh, a new opportunities for many generations in Franklin. So, yeah. um, so that meeting's on Monday. Um, there's an EDC meeting. I believe it's at 5.30. Um, and we are starting to see, and I know we'll get into it in a second, we are starting to see, which is good news, is now that the staff have all been able to settle in after two or three, four weeks and address all of these nuanced issues that I've been dealing with over the last six weeks. Um, you know, I think now that we've, we've been able to get into our home offices, get VPN connections, infrastructure for some that didn't have it. Um, now, hopefully we can get to a point where many of these subcommittee meetings and, and, um, and we'll have more planning board meetings and others um, to do them remotely like this, um, you know, for the next month or two and keep the businesses in town moving forward. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. And just uh, put a plug in, Brian Taberner and I sat earlier and that recording went out yesterday on Franklin Matters. Um, one of the topics he mentioned in there uh, was the inclusionary zoning piece, which is now, and it's right. something he's been working on for years. Oh, years, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, just, just to concur that... Uh, corroborate your your statement it, it didn't come out of thin air it's actually been bubbling for a while yeah we've, we've we've been going through draft after draft seeing what other towns are doing the town attorney has been uh very instrumental in a lot of this too i want to give mark a lot of credit he's, he's put a lot of thought in, into it and he's done a lot of research with other towns and um you know it's something that we really need to, to catch up to we, we're normally not in this position of catch up to other towns usually we're in advance. Uh, generally leading the way in a lot of mm -hmm. things due to yeah. our position, but uh, this is one that I think we need to, you know, and I think a lot of people agree we need to, we need to do better on. Yep, and I think you mentioned also May 4th and the other meeting coming up on May 4th, uh, budget subcommittee re resumes meeting in these new virtual worlds. Yep, so we're going to have our first, you know, I mean, I think obviously every town manager and superintendent is not taking their eyes off the budget, but uh, it's now time to, to get serious about it. Um, 
May 4th is going to be the first budget subcommittee meeting. Um, that's going to be uh, Councillor Kelly is the chair of that, along with um, Councillor Mercer, Councillor Hamlin, and Councillor Pellegri. Um, and I'm giving them a snapshot of where we're at for fiscal year 21. Um, I, there are just simply too many factors, as any listener can imagine, to go in to think that anybody has a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at this point, you know, myself and the finance director and the schools are trying to do the best we can to come up with what we believe to be accurate scenarios. We are playing it fairly conservatively as we should. Um, I don't expect the state budget done soon. Um, by this point right now, the House of Representatives would be completely done with their budget. The Senate would be debating their budget in a couple of weeks. Um, I've been assured by our legislative delegation that neither of those dates are going to hold true. So my expectation is, is that um, it's unlikely we're going to see a FY21 state budget until likely until later in the summer, maybe even Labor Day. Um, you know, they have their own estimated $4 billion uh, gap in sales tax revenue and other things that, that they were counting on. They're going to have to go back and redo their budget. Um, you know, I've sat down with the finance director the last week, looked at our financial trends. Um, and, you know, we're looking at approximately right now with what we know, we're looking at a $3 million reduction in revenues that we had predicted at the March 4th town council meeting. So for right. any listener that's looking to go back and go, what was life like? What did we used to have? That March 4th meeting. The, the, the budget discussion documents, the memo and the working budget model that were in there is, a, is where we're starting from. We're not going all the way back to the beginning. Um, that's really where we're coming off of. And if I go back and do my local receipts and new growth estimates, you know, we're looking at a $3 million approximately. Um, nobody out there can hold me to this. Every day the numbers are gonna change. We're gonna continue to update the numbers in our budget model and they're gonna change. But the May 4th meeting is really going to have the first opportunity to, to publicly discuss and look at what we're looking at going into FY21, get some feedback from the subcommittee. I do expect a, another meeting maybe the week after. Uh, I'm hoping within the next week or two after that to have a bigger conversation with the uh, same group as well as um, maybe some finance committee and, and school committee members. Um, and then we're looking at uh, right after Labor Day, uh, Memorial Day, excuse me. We're looking yeah. right after that to after have our budget hearings with FinCom. Uh, I told the staff on the department heads meeting today, I said, look, it's going to move fast. It's going to move quick. Things are going to change hour by hour. Um, you know, um, it, it's, it's now down to decision time. And, um, you know, I won't go into all the details of the budget. Happy to answer any questions you might have, Steve. But um, that's going to be the, the, the first meeting really. Uh, to look into as to what uh, FY21 is going to look like. Um, I will relay one bit of news that's now gone out there that, that will help, which is it looks like our regional dispatch center in Norfolk that we're part of, it's a special district, um, it looks like we're going to be able to obtain a grant um, because we're going to be merging regional dispatch centers with uh, another unit, which makes us eligible for uh, a grant at the state level which is going to pay our, uh, prospectively pay our entire assessment uh, for FY21 and FY22, um, which is going to free up for me, you know, about 600000 a year for the next couple of years. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 
requires a little bit more detail than what I'm saying, but it's going to free up a little bit of capacity on the municipal side um, to be able to handle some of the cuts that are inevitably going to make in the revenue model. So um, it's not going to be great news. Um, we're going to make it through this. Um, there's no question that this is spring training. We are going to approve a budget. The council will look at it in June. And even that's the end of spring training. Usually they approve a budget and we kind of go, okay, whew, take a breather, let the finance team and Miriam and her staff clean out the books and, you know, and have a summer where we can take a, a, a month or so off from monitoring uh, the budget uh, analysis. Not this year. We're likely going to have to come back in January um, after the state is done with its budget, after we try chart revenue numbers, after we understand if the virus goes away, is there a vaccine? Do people go back out? Are there going to be more testing capacity? There's no question by the end of the, the calendar year, we're going to have to evaluate a revised budget at some point. And, um, and so this is just phase one. So this is really the spring training. Um, and then when we get into the new fiscal year in July, that's the regular season. Um, and then we're going to have to take it from there uh, and see how things go. But there's no question it's a day-by-day -day process. But that should be a good discussion to understand for all of us where uh, our elected leaders stand on uh, and what their message is to the community on the mm -hmm. budget. And, yeah. um, and it should be a good discussion. Yeah, I think the one key suggestion I'll make, and maybe Chris has already thought of it, or you've already thought or just haven't elucidated it yet, but clearly with the baseline and then moving forward, it's going to be interesting. And this is certainly where I can help, but you having the official record, making note of the changes as we go, because clearly there will be changes. So you've got a baseline yeah. and then you start a discussion on May 4, and then there's three or four items that have changed. And then you go into, say, the FinCon meetings, and there's three or four more items that have changed. Having kind of that log as to what changed when so that people can kind of come back through and say, oh, yeah, this is what moved here. This is what moved here. So that by the time we get down, you know, even three months is going to feel like six yeah. years. It's like, what happened? Where did we come from? I think from? three days is going to feel like <laughs> six years. You know, I mean, I mean it. I, 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 and I'm prepping everybody for this. Steve. You raise a good point, and, and our intent is to do as best we can on that. I will, of course, I will of alert course. you to, to another yeah. thing that you, you jogged my memory on, and it is important to bring up. I think there's going to be a lot of intellectual curiosity around all of this, and I think that we're going to, which is a good thing, we're going to get a lot of new viewers that are going to pay attention to the budget because the news is not good, and, and they're going to clue in more to what's going on, which is a good thing. On the flip side, our organization has not skipped a beat because of the COVID issue. In particular, our finance teams have done, a, and Anne-Marie is going to put out a department spotlight on the finance team in the, next, in the next several days, and I think it will illuminate a lot of the inside story with their employees and how they're going about um, doing, uh, catching up with all this work. The downside is, is that we do have less time to just create spreadsheets and memos and documents to track every penny Absolutely. because things, yeah. things are going to move so fast. Um, I still have things to do uh, that are required by the charter, like the budget message, yep. uh, which is, is, is a good overview and narrative of the document, but that's different than what Chris fits out in his crystal report budget, sure. which takes him like minutes to do. Yep. Uh, whereas I've got to go through and do all this narrative. Um, there's only so many hours in a day. 
Um, and, and I'm going to have to probably push You don't back. have all this extra time to do this now? How come? Uh, I'm going to have to push back, not on you, but, but really the subcommittee and, and the, the FinCon, everybody, that you know, Miriam and Chris and her, their staffs literally only have so much capacity to produce oh, every, yeah. every answer to every question. And, and that's why I say this is really spring training. I, I'm trying to prep everybody to understand, and this will come out clearly on the 4th. So this is a big preview we're doing here for, for May 4th, is, is they're going to have to hunker down and realize that what you're approving now is just a blueprint. It is every year. Right. You know, we really do a good job looking at trends and analyses and, and getting into the details pretty heavily. But you make a certain assumption. This is a whole different. This isn't, you know, this is not like your usual downturn in the no. economy, like happened in 08 and 09, where you could point to certain things like the housing industry and various stuff that contributed to it. This is a, a playbook no one has. And, um, and we don't know what the state's going to do. We don't even know what the feds are going to do. But fortunately, we don't get a lot of federal funding. So I'm not relying on that, uh, on that discussion other than the reimbursement. Um, but I think, you know, this isn't a moment where we're going to be able to go in and look at like a lot of performance metrics and make our decisions based off nothing but data. Yep. Um, it's really going to be about um, getting a framework in the four corners of the puzzle before the finance committee and the council. And then over the course of the fiscal year is when we're going to fill in the inside of the four corners of that puzzle. Normally mm -hmm. we're filling that all in for the council to assess in May. Right. <laughs> you know, that's a very different thing than what we've done in the past. And I think that, you know, and I'm, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but the most effective way for people to stay in tune is to spend that hour of their time watching those meetings. And, and, and listening to these shows like you're doing right here um, because that's, you know, Councillor uh, Chandler, Councillor Hamlin, and other uh, folks who are new to the boards have always said, you know, it takes like a full year even as a councillor to understand some of the mechanics of the budget, um, if not several years. And if you're the average citizen, it just takes that much more time and effort to really yeah. stay in tune with it. Yeah, I'm fortunate having spent the time that I have as many as many meetings as I've had, I can start tithing things together. But yeah, I, I sympathize with somebody trying to come into this for the first time. Um, but I'll certainly I reinforce that yes, the FinCon meetings uh, get at the drivers department by department. And that's really the key. Okay, so, you know, calls and uh, uh, rescue calls and fire alarms, et cetera, from a police and first response perspective to the miles and the paving and the sewer connections, et cetera, from a DPW, yada, yada, yada. People can get the idea. Th those are the drivers to the budget. Um, obviously, there's people and benefits and all that other kind of stuff too, but it's the drivers on what we do and where it goes. And that's where you get a lot of those details before it gets to the town council. It's going to be a tough year and you're going to have to be making a lot of tough choices. And, mm -hmm. you know, fortunately, you know, again, in my spare time, I'm doing things like trying to merge regional dispatch centers, um, which is a lot of work, <laughs> a lot it of is. phone calls, you anyway, know, and getting the regional of, dispatch up and running nuance. itself was work. It was, and, and, and we built it to include more towns so we could have the situation. The economy has forced us to do this, and 
and it's not a bad forcing. It's, it's a good value for the taxpayers of Franklin without question. Uh, it's a no-brainer decision, um, but it's going to require, I think, um, and I'm not telling you tales out of school, but it's going to require the school department for sure, uh, the school committee to to reflect quite a bit on on their operations and the changing nature of of schools, the expectations, things that we didn't see before, like PPEs. What are we going to need for town staff? Right. Um, these are these are dynamics I cannot answer right now, and I'm no. not going to answer them until after the budget is approved by the council. It's just right. the, it's the nature of the beast. But um, you know, our departments, um, you know, are absolutely going to rise to the occasion. There's things right now like the fire department and paramedics. You know, is a good example, or the health, the board of health. You know, I cannot, you know, cut their funding because they are literally the ones that are on the front lines to, to save our lives and keep our, our community healthy. Mm -hmm. and, and there's other things that are going to, that are maybe unfortunately not as needed or maybe not as needed in July and August as maybe in September. And so it's going to be something that is going to take a nimble government to be able to get through. And, you know, when it comes time for July, there'll be things like uh, spending policies that I'll put into place um so that any new any spending comes through me over a certain amount of money do we need that contract do we need that service mm -hmm. cut back right. yeah just because we approve it in the budget doesn't mean we're going to spend it right yeah <laughs> you know no, and, you're going to need and, to get to that kind of micromanagement at some point right. it's unfortunate but you need to yeah. and that's a good example someone's going to inevitably ask me write up that policy now i can't do it you know and, and chris and miriam have got to weigh in on this there's got to be a comprehensive team effort on that stuff it's just going to be something I literally do not have the time to do this week. It's going to be something on my palate in June that I'll be able to hopefully spend more time on if we can turn the trajectory around, something I plan on putting in place for July 1. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of inconveniences like that. Um, and that's why I think, you know, for people that want to pay attention, you know, they're, they're going to need to tune into these shows. They're going to need to tune into the, the meetings themselves and, and listen in. They don't have to speak, but they can listen in to what's going on and at least be informed. Yep. So in terms of other than listening in, Chloe, um, Earth Day was to Wednesday, excuse me, the 22nd. Um, and I know the rec department had some bags and gloves available on Thursday. I believe they're still available on Saturday. And then uh, yep. hopefully with some good weather Saturday, Sunday, people will be able to go out and do some uh, picking up. And then the DPW, if I recall correctly, going to start picking up those bags on uh, Monday when they return. Uh, yes, they definitely are. Um, the bags were available on on Thursday at the rec department. The DPW actually set up a great sort of in and out path for anybody who went in to go pick them up. You kind of pulled around the back. Everything was available. And uh, Saturday looks to be beautiful. So uh, I know Ryan was talking this morning about how he thinks they, they had a great turnout even on Thursday, uh, but he thinks Saturday will even be, you know, bring one. out more, yeah, bring mm -hmm. out more citizens who, who want to participate and help clean up. Um, I will make note of this. So my kids actually did this on Thursday, the, my teenagers, and uh, I thought it was kind of funny. They're, you need to make note that there's two different sizes of gloves available. So uh -oh. for for someone like my son who has these big hands, uh, you know, he tried to pick up a size small and you know, make sure you pay attention to the sizes that are available in the boxes. Um, and uh, and obviously just be stay be safe. There's some areas that are really for adults only if they're on a you know one of our busier roads without sidewalks. But uh, yeah, it's a great way to kind of spend a 
be what looks to be a beautiful day outside and clean up our town at the same time. And practice social distancing and get some help. And so yeah, definitely. It's, it's a multiple win, win, win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just really quickly, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day this year. Yep. Uh, big anniversary, big movement. Um, many moons ago, years ago, they used to have the, remember Steve or Amory, you might remember they used to have big rock concerts at, at the old Schaefer Sullivan Foxborough stadium for Earth yep. Day. And, uh, as a teenager, went to a, a few of those down there and, uh, I think it's a generational change, you know, like any issue these days, there's varied opinions in town. Yep. Um, and for my stance, you know, we've, we've closed so much and it's been rainy and April showers here, um, that to be able to offer something that we know can be done safely and that we have confidence that the crowd that will come will do the social distancing, will stay away from each other, um, and, and respect it and wear masks, by the way, and gloves and those things like Anne-Marie talked about, um, is important. I've gotten a lot of people emailing me and calling me, um, calling counselors, everybody just looking for, you know, a few things to do. And I think Anne-Marie's had a lot of calls on this. I mean, I mean the trails program we have and, and some of the other stuff of trying to challenge people to eat out and get takeout and walk Boston and, and, and do our own freedom trail in Franklin. And, you know, I think that this matters to a lot of people. And I think that, I think that it's provided a lot more benefit um, for folks than it has a negative at all. So, um, you know, I know some people are not thrilled with the decision, but um, I know a lot of people that are too. And I think that usually in Franklin fashion, step up to the plate. Yeah, indeed. And related to that, I believe we talked last time about Beaver Street reopening on the weekend, and it seems like that is now going to be going forward on the weekends for yard waste only. Yes, yard waste and brush. Um, they'll be open this weekend, regular hours, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then uh, starting next week, they're going to be opening on Tuesday and Thursday as well. Uh, still oh, for okay. yard waste and brush only. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's going to be coming out soon, but um, Brutus uh, from DPW announced that, and uh, they're hopeful that they can fully reopen soon, um, but right now it's still five at a time in their recycling center, obviously practicing the physical distancing, the staff sure. will be practicing physical distancing as well, but yeah. um, for those of you cleaning up your yards, um, you have somewhere to go. Yes, and then I know um, having seen some pink bags getting left by the wayside early and on when it got stopped and people weren't aware of it uh people will be delighted i assume that now that's able to return next week oh yes everybody uh, i've gotten a few comments on our social media everyone's very excited for the return of the pink bags um i think people are home they're spring cleaning they're you know cleaning out closets cleaning out drawers and they have um items that they don't need and the sure. the Clothing, the curbside clothing program was obviously so successful uh, immediately when it started in, in November. I think people really were excited about it. So uh, that's coming back starting Monday on your regular trash day. Uh, people are talking about, you know, where do I get bags? Um, you can order them online. I actually did that once back in the winter. I just went on to simplerecycling.com and ordered them. Uh, if you leave bags, the Simple Recycling um, folks will leave some in to replace 
Yes. So you can get them that way as well. Yep. And um, we do get a number of questions about what can go in them. Um, and if you go to simplerecycling.com, they have a great list. Um, it's obviously clothing, which is clearly evident when we call it the curbside, you know, clothing recycling. Right, right. That's um, the main item, but it's not the only one. By any it's means. not. No, it's not. Um, you know, fabric in general. I mean, there's blankets, drapes, curtains, pillows. Um, there's a list online that is a little bit more comprehensive of what you can put in those bags. So mm -hmm. again, for all those people out there who are um, channeling, channeling their Getting inner Marie, yes. yeah, inner, channeling their inner Marie Kondo, uh, you know, <laughs> really <laughs> cleaning out and uh, keeping only those things that spark joy, uh, might have a lot of bags to fill. So yep. Definitely, we can include those links in the show notes for those who uh, haven't forgot, haven't, or don't want to go googling to get it, or go to the town site to get it. We'll include those in the show notes as well. So, yeah. great. great Steve. <laughs> and then I noticed you've started a new piece called the Department Spotlight. Uh, yes. So this. Um, came out of just a conversation Jamie and I had. I, we've been uh, having department head meetings every Friday um, where we kind of hear from every single department head what's going on in their department, what are people doing, what are they up to, um, how are they adapting their normal way of doing business to uh, fit into this remote work environment. And every time I would listen, it's just so impressive what so many people are doing and how quickly they were able to put it together. So mm -hmm. um, I just asked Jamie what he thought of the idea and um, we went forward with it. Um, Mike D'Angelo was my first, my first um, department head that I spoke to and uh, he filled me in on not only everything that the facilities department typically does, but all of the changes that they have had to make and all of the new requirements that have come about due to uh, the current situation that we're in and just how his department has really and and all the the custodial staff um the trade staff how everybody has just really stepped up um to make everything work right now for our especially those on the front lines our police department our uh fire department um our schools Every time somebody has to go in uh, to pick up, obviously our teachers have to go in sometimes and pick up materials that they right. need in, in sure. order to keep keep the learning going. Um, those buildings all have to be dis disinfected and uh, just to keep them safe for everybody. And they've really done a phenomenal job uh, to keep everything going. And uh, I know Jamie and I talked about this too. They're the facilities department is going to play a huge role in the reopening of everything. Yes. Um, you know, yes. what, when when we're looking to the future, just everything that needs to happen. But uh, going forward, I'm, I spoke to uh, Chris Sandini and Carrie Bartoni today, so that will be the next one coming. Again, talking to the finance department and the treasurer collector, they've had to make a lot of changes to the way they do business. Um, they're still doing business, just in a different way. Um, yes. And one of the things that I'm sure many of the departments will, will discuss is that they've actually found, um, you know, being sort of forced, having this forced upon them, uh, this sort of remote, remote work, uh, they've found some great efficiencies. They found, they have discovered some things that have 
might not not might not go back to the way they were before. Uh, just Surprise! Because, yeah, <laughs> because of the way <laughs> the way things have gone. Um, but one thing that even in just speaking to a few of the department heads um, is very clear is that they're all just so. They're very impressed and very proud of their staff at mm -hmm. uh, just how quickly they rose to the occasion. And, you know, many of them had took their, their whole desktop home and their whole everything, their whole work environment and have never worked from home before. And right. now here they are getting everything done, you know, doing everything that they normally do in a remote way um, and then just being really creative in order to get things done and keep everything in Franklin moving. Interesting piece with Mike that came up where he had basically developed this program uh, about disinfecting public safety vehicles and and he he basically as as, as both of you know and hopefully the listeners uh, learn is you know we're all members of professional associations with our jobs you know Brutus is part of the DPW managers right. coalition yep. the chiefs of police association the managers of of Massachusetts for myself and. And then there's subgroups, there's regional ones, like I'm part of the Norfolk managers. And we share a lot of ideas. And in this case, Mike was really, um, you know, one of the ones that spearheaded it. And there was a profile about him. And Anne-Marie were trying to, and I were talking about how do we get that message, that story out that, you know, our facilities director and our custodian, um, there's no buildings to clean per se. Um, but there's another job for them to do sure. that's really on the front lines of all this. And when we come back, these are the guys that are going in with their masks, with gloves, with extra protectional gear to kind of clean up after we, when we go in to do things. And, and this is one of the biggest struggles with having public meetings right now is when do we allow the public and planning boards and other boards go into the town hall, the municipal building to do meetings. And, and all of a sudden, Anne-Marie kind of put her creative hat on too and pumped out this cool image of a department spotlight and, and wrote it up and it, it's going to continue to morph. But I think what we're trying to do is tell the story of what we're doing, not only usually if people aren't familiar with the finance staff, which there's no reason why they would be as much as I will never, ever want to ever be in this position. Uh, you know, there are good things that come out of this and, well, be mindful of your time and with some good weekend stuff coming. Yes. Um, anything else? Final wrap before we close off for this week? Just want to thank everybody out there for listening to, to the show. I know there's been a lot of folks who've actually called me, Steve, and, and, and left messages that they saw the replay last week, you know, whatever, whatever, wherever they're getting the content. Mm -hmm. I know your, your hit counts have been good, so people are, are chiming in. I just want to, you know, just want to reassure you know, that we're all here for everybody in the community. People can reach out to us anytime. We're completely open for business. So I just want to thank the community for their patience. Um, it's been a tough time for everybody. And, um, you know, we are going to get through this. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really hope that in the next few weeks, um, you know, the trend of what we're seeing will, will alter and, and we'll be able to see um, light at the end of the tunnel and, and understand when we can start to see each other again in real time. I'm dying for it. I, I, yeah. I you know, I mean, well, I'm okay. I can adapt to this whole thing from home. But as Governor Baker said this week, you know, we are, we're, we're in this business because we like people and, and it, you know, can't wait to get, see all the employees again. <coughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're people, people. So yeah, we miss, 
and we miss people. <laughs> but uh, until we can get together safely, that's well, how we're going to do it. The important part of the social distancing is the social part. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And then the, the distancing just makes sure that we're all healthy so that we can come back and do it again. So yes, I, I just, definitely. for like my grand, great grandchildren, I, I shudder to think what the definition of social distancing will be in the history books. Yeah. yeah. You know, what, the what interesting thing you know, is perceived yeah. 30 years from now will be a vocabulary word on, on a history test. Um, thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate your continued yeah. efforts in helping us. Thank get you, Steve. Out, and we'll uh, talk to you next week.